0: Episode seven, and quite honestly, one of my favorite episodes of the School Counselor podcast. It was a rather interesting drive in this morning. Um, First snowfall of the year. I found myself needing to go very slowly on or in my parents' car that doesn't have snow tires on it because mine's actually in today getting the snow tires. So I'm a little bit late to the party, but uh, hopefully everybody arrives safe and without incident. So every year, the school counselors manage a lot of students presenting with anxiety or as anxious. So today's podcast is dedicated to anxiety. What is it? How, what does it present like? How do we manage it in the moment? How can families manage it at home? So we are speaking today with Jessica McLeod, a local clinician, and a member of our community. And we hope that today's conversation is the first in perhaps many about different elements of our mental health. Last year, the school counselor sent a rather lengthy email to families about anxiety with a lot of online resources because that was really all that was available as we were emerging from the pandemic. There's a lot of good information in that release, but again, it was long, it was wordy, uh, and for some, it might have been hard to digest. And so, with the podcast and with our interview with Jessica, um, we poke into some of the topics in that in that uh, in that release. We bring it more into the present, and uh, we don't discuss how to do therapy with. Uh, your teens at home or how they can help their peers. But we present uh, our topic on anxiety in a way that hopefully promotes understanding and uh, perhaps some self-regulation through some of the resources that Jess talks about as well as through some of the resources that I will post up in the show notes today. Some of those resources in the show notes include... A, an Amazon resource with an anxiety workbook for teens and families. Uh, that is a, a workbook that is for purchase and it's by a publisher that um, creates a lot of great workbooks uh, for, for families and for, for young people. There's an app for our tech-minded folk um, available on both uh, iTunes and uh, Google platforms called MindShift CBT which is an evidence-based anxiety relief app. Uh, There's another one called Worry Breath, which is um, some guided box breathing techniques to calm the stressful mind. Um, Insight Timer, WeBot. And lastly, there's an anxiety PDF handout. What is it, what does it look like? How do we manage it, it? how do we treat it? And that PDF handout will be linked, again, in the show notes. If you cannot access that PDF, please feel free to email me and uh, I will make sure that you get a copy of it. Again, we thank Jessica McLeod. I thank you all for listening and Susie and I will be back with you. Hopefully she is on the mend from her illness. Uh, We'll be back with you next week for episode eight. Thank you again, everybody for listening. Take care and we'll see you. All right, right, so we have Jess McLeod with us today, former, what, Howard Center clinician that worked at CVU for a number of years, so there's there's a strong connection to the Direction Center, to the CVU community, if I'm not mistaken, perhaps your kids are in the district, like This is a relevant conversation or person to be having the conversation around anxiety with, which is our main topic today. So Jess, I just want to preface kind of my feelings about anxiety and where I'm coming from because I think it's important for students and families to hear where, where I'm kind of sitting. So 12 years ago, my daughter was born. Uh, 11 years ago, my wife was diagnosed with stage three metastatic breast cancer. Uh, So in the course of taking time off to take care of my daughter and then taking time off to help my wife through her diagnosis, I found myself laying on the couch, feeling like I was in the middle of a heart attack after really uh, emotionally eating for a year. Um, I knew when I went to the ER and they kind of told me what was going on, what I needed to do, which was to seek therapy, get onto some, some meds, uh, which I did. And mm-hmm. then, uh, four years ago, my wife was re-diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer, which carries, uh, according to the oncologist a do what you love timeline. So that brought all of those feelings back, um, which for me were, it was different than when I was playing hockey and, being relied on to score a goal or to stop an offense, you know, and, and you're nervous right. when you're, if you're standing up on stage, doing a whole presentation for your CVU community, you're nervous. But that anxiety for me was, uh, I don't want to say it was just different for me. I describe it to my students as I felt like somebody was reaching in and squeezing my adrenal gland. And then I had this, almost out-of-body experience where I was looking at myself having a conversation. And yeah. it, it wasn't debilitating, but it was super intense. Um, yeah. And the meds uh, served to uh, put a cork on that adrenal gland feeling. Right. Um, but so coming from that, I'm, I'm curious, perhaps this is a big question to start with, what is the clinical definition of anxiety and and how does it differ from being nervous which is normal? Right. And because I've had that experience, part of me is feeling like I'm wondering where we are with that the differentiation between anxiety and just plain nervousness and have we kind of somehow Blended those two in a way that's hard to untwist. So
1: right, right, definitely. How's your wife doing now?
0: Ah, uh, she's good. She's on she's on uh, a med that's keeping things in check. Okay, but it's still there. You know, it's still yeah. you know every time she goes to the oncologist, I get anxious. You know, those oh, feelings yeah. come back. So you know, I feel like on some level, I really. I really connect with my students because I, I understand.
1: Right. Right. But at the same time, it's also like you have this perspective of like this major sort of crisis. And a lot of what students are often anxious about is an exam, a sports game, something that's happening with their friends You know, it's just a different gravity of issues. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, let's step back a minute. So feeling afraid or feeling uncomfortable is very much a part of being human. And feeling afraid occurs in response to realistically anticipated danger. And it's a survival instinct. So like the very basic example, like if a ferocious animal was confronting us, it's likely we're going to respond with fear. And that response is really important because it initiates a whole host of physical and behavioral responses that are going to serve to protect us. So the the experience of anxiety is very similar to that experience of fear, the main difference is that anxiety occurs in the absence of real danger so the so that's the person might think they're going to be eaten by an animal or sorry their body believes they're going to be eaten by an animal but they're not so you know if we're walking through a dark alley we may we might feel anxious because we perceive in our mind that there's some potential danger but that might not mean that there is danger so the experience of anxiety and fear and i would i would add stress too are basically all the same physiologically and what defines anxiety is that there're The fear is out of proportion to the situation. So when people start getting anxious, they tend to avoid those situations where there actually is no danger, but their mind believes there is danger. So. I'm not big on diagnosis, to be honest. um, but the the clinical definition of anxiety is that there's excessive worry. Um, the person finds it difficult to control the worry. Um, they might feel keyed up or on edge, uh, restless, easily fatigued. Their mind might go blank. They have difficulty concentrating. They're irritable, they have muscle tension, and they're not sleeping well, um, whether it's difficulty falling asleep or restless, unsatisfying sleep. Now, the key with the definition is it has to be impacting their functioning in day-to-day life, meaning they're avoiding going to school, maybe avoiding going to work, um, not eating, not sleeping. So it has a profound impact on daily functioning. So we all feel anxious, all of us, every day. It's to different degrees. I think what's happened in our society is that we are so we all feel anxious all the time. And really what we're feeling is stress. Um because life is so busy and crazy. So I think it's helpful to understand that there's a normal level of anxiety that we all feel and you you know the clinical definition of anxiety is when it it really is negatively impacting your functioning day to day. Does that make sense?
0: Total. And I I I will suspect that it makes up a large percentage of your work. Your practice is Clients coming in, wanting assistance in managing yes. their, their their feelings of anxiousness or stress, whatever it is.
1: Yes, absolutely. People will come in and they've already diagnosed themselves. They say, I have social anxiety or I have panic attacks. Um, and what I do is help them understand, actually, no, what you're feeling is pretty normal. And it just usually takes some education on... This is what happens in our body when we perceive threat and helping them to see that there's a disconnect. Like, yes, you're scared. Yes, you're uncomfortable. That doesn't mean that you're going to die, which is, which is what it sometimes feels like when you don't understand what's happening.
0: Yeah. And I know for me that it's part of part of what happens is I I describe it to my students is, you know, when you see the hamster on the wheel and it keeps going, like for me, there's a thought there's that repetitive. I'm having a heart attack. I'm having a heart attack. I'm having like this chest pain is a heart attack. It's not just muscle fatigue from having worked out. It's a heart attack. It's a heart attack. And it just keeps, it just keeps going. And so for me, part of the therapy that I engaged in was, Right? How do I arrest that thought process in the moment? And I and I realize that therapy can be long term, but you know, for me, it is. I need to think about what's happening in the moment. What am I seeing? What am I smelling? What am I listening to? Sometimes I have to take my shoes off. And, yep. and you know me from, from before kids, when I was quite the, I had quite an issue with germs and I'm not one to take my feet or my shoes off in the building, but I need to, I feel need grounded. to feel grounded. So yeah. I'm curious, A, that's strategy that works for me, but, mm-hmm. and I know that it probably doesn't work for everybody, but how, how do we help students in the moment? Like, what are some What are some things that you find, you know, in like a five, 10 minute, like, how do I trigger or cue somebody to reground or refocus? What are some things that work? Because I realize I'm talking a lot, but I'm feeling like mental health clinicians are, you know, have huge wait lists. And so we've got families that are trying to help their kids, maybe don't want to access first call. And it's after school hours. So how do you help a kid who's feeling in that moment like things are out of control?
1: Yeah. So one analogy I like to use with people is that the breath is the anchor to your nervous system. So that fight or flight response, the way that you can help calm that and remind or sort of tell your brain that you're safe is through controlled breathing and specifically if you can lengthen your exhale. So breathe in for a count of four and breathe out for a count of seven. Hmm. If you can do that four or five times, you can engage your parasympathetic nervous system, which will send the calming hormones and neurotransmitters through your body. Also, sort of like ice cold water or even like putting cold hands on your face or on the back of your neck where your, um, skull meets your, you know, spine there at the very top. If you can rub that area that engages your parasympathetic nervous system, which calms your body down, um, or, or sort of splashing water on your face or the back of your neck. Another really important thing, I think, for the adults dealing with anxious teens is to remember that we have mirror neurons in our brains that our kids are picking up on. And and so if we can slow down our breathing, they will automatically slow down their breathing and, and feel calm. So So regulating ourselves as adults and staying calm as adults, which I know as a parent is hard because when you see your child suffering, it is the most horrific thing. So it's hard. But again, using the breath as the anchor to calm the body is hugely helpful. I also think asking people who are feeling really anxious, like, what is it that your mind is telling you right now? Just helping them to having an open-ended conversation of like, what are the thoughts you're having right now? And validating them, not telling Mm -hmm. them you are crazy or that's ridiculous or get your head straight. Like that kind of stuff does not help. In fact, it makes it worse. So, you know, I'll say to my kid, you know, what are you... What is your mind saying to you right now that's making you feel scared? And just allow space for it. Because sometimes just the act of saying it out loud can help diffuse it. What helps in therapy is when you learn about how your thoughts are connected to your feelings and behaviors. And I know resources are tight right now with therapists. So if you can do some reading on your own as a parent about how the fight or flight response works, that's helpful because then you can educate your child. And there's also lots of resources online and cool videos that sort of talk about it because once you can develop that distance from, okay, my body is doing its anxious thing, but I don't have to have my mind join in on it. I can actually Mm -hmm. use my mind as a strength And I can talk to myself in a positive and soothing way and sort of coach myself out of this. I realize that takes practice and skill, but that's ultimately what I'm helping teens do in therapy. And there's lots of workbooks, lots of apps that can help you do that in the meanwhile while you're waiting to get in with a therapist. So Um, yeah,
0: can you... I, here's an ask. Like, I, I know your schedule's super tight, and it took us a while to schedule this time together. But when you have a moment, one of the things that I always do on the podcasts is to release some show notes or yeah. some or some links. And a couple of years ago, or maybe it was even last year, we put out um, some links in a newsletter for, I don't know, Instagram, you know, resources, TikTok resources. Um, and I'd love to, if you could send me some of the things that you think have been valuable. That way I can put them sure. in the show notes for, for families to access.
1: Definitely. And I know it can be sometimes hard to get a teenager to do a work, you know, to do a workbook. Um, but even as a parent, if you, if you bought the workbook and read it, then you'd know what kind of strategies to help your kid with. Right. Um, cause there's some really good stuff out there, but yeah, I, I, I I'll get that to you.
0: I, I appreciate you you saying what you did about um, the mirror neurons, how we approach things um, kind of triggers a different response in the kid. And on a side note, I'm curious, like do you have to uh, intentionally take your counselor hat off when you're at home? I know my daughter is often like, is this my, well, has said to me like, are you dad or are you counselor dad?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have boys, (laughs) so boys are a little different, Um, but yeah, I mostly have to turn that off with my husband, not so much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, sometimes I don't even know if my kids remember that I'm a therapist.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My daughter is, she's, she's fascinated by the work that I do and the, the the converse, the, the, I'm going to say intimate, but because I get to see kids on a different level, the intimate conversations I get to have with kids and, and the difference that I get to hopefully make in kind of in those moments or in some of that long-term term term planning. I, I'm, I'm carrying no delusions that she's going to be a school counselor, but, um, I think it's, I think it's pretty cool that she recognizes the you know, the work that I do.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, cool. so back to topic, I, the cold compresses, the grounding, mm-hmm. um, are, massaging
1: the back of the neck, the,
0: the, the massage on the back of the neck. I, uh, I know when I started to have some issues, getting a massage in general, like going for that was, I think instrumental in kind yeah. of leaving that space feeling like, all right, the hamster wheel has slowed down as a, or as a student told me the other day, like uh, they're a, they're a, a, a movie buff and they were referencing spinal tap where the voices in my head are an 11, but this conversation got me to a four. Like the voices aren't really going to stop, but if you can right. get them to an acceptable level, that's helpful. I'm curious if there are, um if you, uh, in some of the more homeopathic things you were just talking about, are are you finding connection to diet or activity in
1: general? Oh, yes. The biggest things I talk to teenagers about, I I ask, what are you eating? Because most of them are not eating enough. So their body, yeah, their body is going into like almost like a panic mode because they're hungry. And I get that when you're anxious, you lose your appetite you have to continue eating because neurotransmitters are made in the gut and specifically through protein. So if you're not eating enough protein, your whole neurochemical uh, production is going to be off. So eating is so, so important. Um, Most of the teenagers I talk to are pretty active. I don't really see but exercise, I mean, there's been research that exercising, I think it's three times a week, getting your heart rate up for 30 minutes can be as effective. Don't quote me on this exactly because I it's been a long time since I read it, but it can be as effective as SSRIs. Um, so and don't
0: worry, there's only like, I don't know, I looked at the data the other day. There's like 20 people that might listen regularly. So those 20 <laughs> people might quote you, but it's not like the 1400 okay. parents in the building.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. But yes. I mean, my highly anxious clients who start exercising tend to feel better. And the ones that have protein shakes in the morning tend to feel better. And it's just really, really? Those, yeah, it's really those basic things of you need to be getting enough protein, probably more protein than you think, and you need to move your body because you need to expel that stored up energy, that fight energy, that flight energy that you get when you feel scared. Um
0: I know for me, I, I started working out. It was one of those things where I, I mentioned earlier, I, I I was emotionally eating like the, the family size bag of uh, what is it? Hers uh, sour cream and onion chips that's supposed to maybe last a family for a week might last two yeah. days. Like, oh, yeah. the hockey game's on. I'm going to binge eat an entire bag of chips. Yeah. Uh, I went out and didn't have the money for it, but I bought myself an elliptical. Yep. And committed to, my students think I'm crazy, and everybody on here is going to think I'm crazy. But I get up at about three thirty every morning, and and work out and stretch. And the reason I do that, a, is to help with the the getting that energy out and to dissipate yeah. some of the those anxious feelings. But I don't want to be working out after work. Yeah, because I'm tired, and I'm not. I'm less likely to do it. Yes, I should be tired at three thirty, but I don't want to do it after school. Because I would rather cook a healthy meal for my family in my daughter's home. And I want to be able to spend time with my kid because that's the other part of what I've put together for myself is if I don't get time with my kid, then a lot of that stuff.
1: The anxiety gets worse.
0: Gets worse.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Because connection also, connecting with our loved ones helps soothe our nervous system. So, so family so also, time. <laughs> yeah. That brings me back to how you can help your teenager. Um, If they're freaking out, really anxious, go for a walk with them and just listen. Don't say anything, <laughs> just walk with them. And as you're walking with them, I guarantee their anxiety starts coming down because they're moving their body, they're talking, and they feel connected to someone who loves them. I know that would be a hard task to get your teenager to go for a walk with you, but it's an idea.
0: <laughs> I I often ask my students, um, do they ever have time with just uh, one parent? Mm-hmm. Like, have you ever asked your mom or your dad out to lunch? Like yeah. on a Saturday? Because I, I feel like establishing that connection yeah with an alternate or if a if your family is split, however that works, but it it strengthens strengthens that connection, and I think that bond right allows everybody to know where each other is.
1: Yes and
0: and, and that elicits different reactions in stressful situations
1: exactly. and it's it literally soothes the nervous system that fight or flight system starts relaxing when we connect with someone that we know loves us, supports us. Um, so in the body, you can see changes happening. So that's, that's hugely important. And I love spending time with my kids one-on-one. I enjoy them so much more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you, what do you do? I mean, cause I have a daughter. And so yeah. for, for us, it's been, Uh, She collects tarantulas. She rides roller coasters. Like it's all these non things I would think of as when I was growing up as non-typical girl things to do. Um, so, but she likes going for walks. She likes reading. She likes drawing. Like, what do you do with, what do you do with your boys?
1: So I get to spend a lot of time with them in the car to, and from sports. And I try to have that be some sort of individual time. So I'll have my other child stay home. Um, I find that being in the car with them, they're more likely to talk. They're pretty like quiet kids who don't, they're not big talkers, which is hard for me because I'm a huge talker. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I might say like, Hey, let's go to Al's and get a milkshake. um, Because I know they'll be up for that. Um, I try to get them to go for dog walks with me that can be really hard to get them to go they don't want to go for walks with their mom um but my younger son will ride his bike and and trail next to me and then I notice he starts opening up and is a little bit more talkative um but yeah as they become teenagers they don't want to spend as much time with you and that's that's hard so sometimes I find like if I couch it in like hey let's go get a milkshake you know or let's go get a burger at Al's. Um, I can get them to to want to hang out with me.
0: <laughs> and, and she says it will never end. But she, my wife reads to her every night still. Yes. And I, that's yeah. not something dad was ever invited to do, which is totally fine. But yeah. she has asked or she had asked many, many years ago when she was way smaller, like maybe three or four, that. I put her to bed. And so it's kind of like I'm expected to snuggle with her in bed. She tells me a little bit about what's going on. Yeah, You know, she ticked me, I tickle her. It's just kind of that, yes. that last minute connection. Yes. Um, like as you've said, to let each other know that they're loved. Yes. But how do you how do you separate them from their phones?
1: Well, mine don't have phones yet. Really? Yeah. So I, my son's my, so I have a 10 year old and an almost 13 year old and the 13 year old, when he turns 13, he's going to get one. Um,
0: yeah, we just bought my daughter her first phone. Um, and she's pretty good because we've set, we've been very clear about limits, but I see so many kids they're in my office anxious about social drama or whatever it is. And they're, they're on their phone.
1: Yep. I, firmly believe that the increase in anxiety we see is totally linked to the amount of time that teenagers spend on their phone. And I'm guilty of it too. I'm totally addicted to my phone. And I know I sound like a hypocrite when I talk to some of my clients and I tell them that I get it. What's different is my brain is fully developed and theirs isn't. And I cannot even imagine the amount of you know, fear of missing out, not belonging, all that stuff that they have to negotiate every day with the phone. So I think it's really important. So I guess I'm speaking more to like the freshman parents or as soon as the kids get the phone, there needs to be a lot of limits put in place. I, I believe the phone never should go in the bedroom. Yep. Um, there needs to be limits to the time that is spent on social media um, as much as you can have open dialogue about the social media, great. Um, I, It's just, uh, yeah, I, I'm almost at a loss for words at how tricky that all is.
0: We we kind of, Adam was pretty intentional at the start of the year. Adam, our principal. Yeah. we've done a lot of research around like how the, the individual who invented the infinite scroll on Facebook. Cause it used to be the internet's used to be like, you'd get to the end of a page and it was like a book. You had to click next page and you right. could stop. Right. And so the infinite scroll is like this black hole of YouTube yep. or TikTok. Yep. And so he put out a lot of, uh, science based information. I say he, but the school put together a lot of stuff over the summer. Um, indicating why we needed phones to be away. yeah and, and I think although the the there's still some concern about use and what happens with the use, kids have been really pretty amazing about yeah. understanding the science behind why it's important for it to be away,
1: yeah. And I mean, the other thing I talk I talk to teenagers about is like, okay, so we know that connecting, like human connection, face to face connection is so important for us feeling calm and safe in our body. So much of their connection now is over text or not you know through these apps and messaging, that's not real connection. Like right. There's a lack of that for them. So even more important to like take breaks from it and look at someone in the face because that is what helps your body regulate. So it's hard. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if cell phones or like social media is going to become like the next tobacco lawsuit because the damage is just a lot.
0: And we had we talked with Matt Minier last week about vaping and the 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 nicotine that is kind of ingested through all of those tools. And I do wonder like at what point nicotine is the main drug in tobacco at what point do we start regulating that because that I think
1: mm-hmm. the,
0: the impact of experimenting and substances, is huge because now you're a little less able to regulate,
1: right. right? So I
0: know I know your time is short, and and I I want to ask you a couple questions.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: What, what? So I'll lump them together, and then if we have more time, if you're free, we can kind of continue to chat. But what are your thoughts on online counseling services and resources? And I ask that because a I'm always asked, I, I'm often asked by parents because that might be the only option. Mm -hmm. And this year, Middlebury contracted with, and I'm the name of the organization is flying out of my head. They contracted with an organization uh, to provide online counseling services for their students and families. Hmm. And so I'm curious what your thoughts are about online clinicians and if that if that's um, efficacious. And then what is your what is First Call's role in? helping families with anxiety, because I know that that resource is out there and we talk about it, but families often feel like, well, my kid's not threatening to harm themselves or threatening to harm others. So I don't want to call them.
1: Right. Let me start with first call. So um, what I've always heard first call say is that the caller defines the crisis. You do not have to be homicidal or suicidal to use first call services. Um, you will get likely when you answer, when you call, you will get a person on the other line who is, um, trained to be a good listener. I know that they're highly busy and very, Mm -hmm. um, utilized. So there's a chance you could get an answering service that would, they would call you back. Um, that's about the extent I know. I haven't been using first call a lot. Um, so online resources, I think it would be, it's really hard for me to generalize about them. There's so many, um, it's like probably the, again, I don't have stats to back this up, but like the fastest growing industry right now, it seems.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, it seems like it.
1: Yeah. So I think there's a lot of cool stuff going on. There's so much stuff going on that I can't even keep up with it. But one thing that really interests me is these sort of online companies or therapists that have like sort of modules that they guide you through to teach you. Hmm. Um, Because I think not not all teenagers need psychotherapy. Really what they need is training on how to cope with anxiety.
0: Right. Um, some education.
1: Yeah. So I don't, you know, psychotherapy isn't necessarily what all teenagers need. So they might work well. Um, and there's also lots of apps, you know, like Headspace and Calm have like, now they have, I think, like modules you can take online to teach yourself some of these strategies. Um, Another, Another thing I know is that many employers are now offering as a benefit to their employees online counseling services. So that might be something for parents to check in with their benefits team to find out, like, do I have access to any of these? Um, I think it it could be hit or miss with an online therapist. Um, I know I personally, before the pandemic, was opposed to anything online because I really... Had this belief that you have to be in person to pick up the energy and read body language and all that stuff. Having done online counseling with people over the pandemic, like I, I realized like, okay, yeah, you can actually do some pretty good work online. Um, But I think again, it's going to be hit or miss based on the person you get. Um, And again, I'm just, I just don't even know because it's so fast growing what's out there.
0: Yeah. And and sitting in my seat, it's hard to, I know what's available in our community. I can say, call this person or call that person. They're very busy. There's a wait list, but I trust them because I have personal experience with them. Whether I saw them for my own therapy, or I know that they've helped other students or worked in the building. It's hard when the clinician's in Texas.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. You
0: You just don't, you don't know. Right. What the best advice is.
1: Yeah. And I would say as a parent, you have every right to get on, get online with that person and sort of interview them and, and, you know, ask like, what's your approach going to be? I think typically with anxious, with, with teenagers who are having a difficult time managing being uncomfortable and being fearful, You want cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness training. Um, Now, if there's been a traumatic event that's happened in that child's life, then you might want to look for other um, modalities of therapy, like EMDR can be really helpful. Um, But, yeah, somebody who's specifically trained in understanding the neuroscience of anxiety.
0: All right, so I want to make sure I give you enough time to kind of prepare for your next your next client. Oh yes, <laughs> thank but you. I, I'm curious. Like, is there anything? I thought
1: you were that- going to say for this next question, and I was no. like, Ooh.
0: <laughs> no, I'm not that deep. You know me. You, you know me better than that. Is there anything that I haven't asked or something that I that you feel is important to kind of wrap this up with? Um, and don't say no because I know I haven't covered it all.
1: <laughs> yeah, no no, you didn't ask about meds which I thought you might um Oh, did we just freeze?
0: Oh. Uh no, I think we're back. Okay,
1: okay so meds was something that we didn't talk about. Um I think Okay. Medication in combination with therapy according to the research is most helpful. Um that's a decision that has to be made with the pediatrician or with a doctor or a psychiatrist and psychiatrists are who prescribe yep. medication. Um, for teenagers who have shown signs of anxiety their whole life, meds do tend to be helpful. Um, and again, pediatricians, psychiatrists are the best resources for that. Um, and, and typically ssris are what are used um to treat anxiety um i would say that's sort of the frontline treatment
0: i think the piece that that is really important in all of that is when i was diagnosed it was i knew that the meds were not the only answer and yes. i think i think a lot of times i see kids who tell me they're on meds but they aren't coupling that with yeah, work with good. a clinician.
1: Yeah, because the goal is that you're on the meds to to make it so that you're more able to confront the things you're scared of. Because that's the whole key in treating anxiety, right? Like, you're anxious about giving public uh, public speaking. You have to put yourself in the situation and publicly speak, because otherwise, the fear just grows. Mm-hmm. And I know teenagers hate to hear that when I tell them, you have to confront your fears. You have to. Otherwise, the anxiety grows. It gets worse. And so meds sometimes make it so that it's a little bit more tolerable to put yourself into those situations where you feel really scared.
0: Yep. Yeah, I know that they were, as I said earlier, it was instrumental in kind of helping me recognize when it's happening, start that conversation. And then it was All right, I I have a handle on it and my counselor saying, I think you're you're ready to stop. And it was all right, now I can continue some of that counseling without the meds. And all right, let's let's have our last session.
1: Right, exactly. And that's you know, that's sort of the ideal case, but for people who have maybe the genetic predisposition to, to anxiety and there's a lot of anxiety in a family. Family members have anxiety. Sometimes meds are a more long-term approach. Yep. Um, yeah. Any other, other final that, thoughts? I mean, you know, I guess just a final thought, something that I talk a lot about, about with friends and, and, and other colleagues is just the amount of pressure and stress in teenagers' lives these days. It's a lot. So, you know, I think all teenagers are experiencing some level of anxiety. And I think it's really important to help our kids figure out how to relax and how to find calmness in their bodies, whether that's going for walks in nature, doing yoga, deep breathing, or just reducing stimulation so that they can just relax, um, 'Cause it's crazy out there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah.
0: All right. I'm pressing stop, but okay. thank you, Jess. You you are amazing and I appreciate your oh time.
1: thank you, Russ. So are you.